0: Hello and happy Sunday, everyone. This is Southwest Ohio Full Court Press. I'm your host, Tony Peters, coming at you today. Uh, it's been a little while since you guys heard from us. Uh, last time we had an episode come out was on June 30th uh, with an interview with Jacob Connor from Alter. Uh, took a couple months off, obviously. Um, Seth and I pride ourselves in our content for this for the podcast being mainly high school uh, content. So we didn't do a lot with AAU, so therefore I spent a lot of time coaching my Dayton Elite team as well as doing some scouting for prep hoops. So obviously didn't do a lot uh, during the AAU scene, but this episode's going to be kind of a, a, a preview to the preview. Obviously Seth and I will do a high school preview when it gets closer, but I wanted to put a content episode out for all of you, so I put something on my Instagram and my Twitter asking for guys, and any, or anyone for that matter to send in some questions you had for the upcoming season, and we would answer them here on this episode. Got a, some good uh, good questions here. Looking forward to responding to 15 in total. So uh, we're going to go through this. I will go through each one. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Uh, we're going to take a break before I jump right into this, though. So we will be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. Again, uh, we're going to be doing some answering some questions here on this episode. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. First question we got is altered a favorite to make the state in division two in southwest ohio especially with paul mcmillan now being gone for those of you who don't know the second part of that uh, paul mcmillan the fourth arguably one of the top three players in the entire state of ohio was attending woodward high school in cincinnati Uh, he transferred to hillcrest prep in arizona for his senior year so woodward will not have mcmillan Um, i'll go a little deeper into cincinnati here in a second but before that transfer, Woodward was probably going to be the favorite uh, to come out of Southwest Ohio. So, if McMillan had been there, the answer to this question probably would have been no. But this early in the season, I'm going to go yes. Alter has to be the favorite. Here's why they've got four of their top five players back from last season. You got Jacob Connor, who's a Marshall commit, who has been playing phenomenal up until the last couple of. Um, well, I shouldn't say up until he's been playing very well through this uh, summer with Wildcat Select, committed to Marshall. He's going to be back. Not a lot of players in, in Dayton that can match his his length and his talent at six nine and that incredible wingspan he's got. Uh, they also have Ryan Chu. He transferred over a year ago, was only eligible for half of the season. He will have a full season of eligibility now uh, that he'll be able to kind of help out. Seen a lot of videos this summer of him throwing alley-oops to Connor. Very good passer, very good point guard. And then you got the junior trio of A.J. Lean, Gavin Geisel, and Anthony Ruffalo. Ruffalo, a very good floor general, good shooter, good facilitator. Uh, A.J. Lean, kind of a great two-way player. You know, He can score in doses, but really he's going to bring a lot of intensity on the defensive end of the floor. And then Gavin Geisel, who originally was more of, a, of a, a dead-eye shooter. He's really kind of evolved his game into more uh, of a complete player. So you got that trio uh, added with Connor and Chew. The one player that they did lose is Brian Shane, who was kind of their interior player. I mean, that's a tough to lose because uh, Shane did bring a lot of physicality. But this Altered team, theoretically, when you look at Division II, they've got a lot of experience. And that's something that we're going to talk about here in just a second. Alter's is the favorite, but... In terms of the Dayton area, I think there's two other teams that need to be worth uh, mentioning. Dunbar, obviously. uh, We'll talk a little bit more specifically about Dunbar in uh, one of the other questions we had. And then CJ, who's also a GCL team. I'm going to hold off on talking about CJ until our next question because the next question pertains directly to them. But those two teams are probably the two best shots at giving Alter a challenge, I would say. And again, it's October uh, 3rd, October 4th today, whatever date it is. A lot could change in a month, and two months. I mean, we could still get kids transferring. I just found out there's two kids that transferred um, from Cincinnati to Columbus schools this week. So kids could still transfer. But Alter, on paper, probably is the top team out of D2 in Southwest Ohio. I'd say they're definitely a favorite. In terms of Cincinnati teams, that could maybe be a challenge. Batavia, uh, they're on their rural Cincinnati on the east side. They were 18-3 last year. They got blown out by Fenwick in the tournament. Uh, Batavia's got three of their top five. They have a kid named Mason Weisbrot, who's a 6'9 senior. Uh, he's got a very good chance of being a special player. Uh, the big issue with Batavia is just the league they play in is not a very good league. So being 18-3 is is great and all, but they're not exactly playing the most dominant teams to prepare them for the tournament. Uh, if they can put the pieces together this year, I think they can can be pretty solid. Uh, Woodward, even though they lose McMillan, they still have quite a few guys uh, still there. Um, one guy in particular, sophomore, Rue Mills, watched him during AAU. Uh, really good player. He reminds me of McMillan in that he can score at will. Uh, I'm not comparing his talent to McMillan, but his style of play is very similar. So I think that Woodward will still be fine in the C-Mac. Now, I don't know... How far they're going to get uh, in terms of will they get out of the district? It's way too early to be having that conversation, but I think they can be considered. And then Wyoming, they bring back three of their top six from a 15 and 8 team last year, a uh, team that made it to district finals before losing to Chaminade Julianne. I think Wyoming every year needs to be considered because, frankly, they're a very good team. Uh, I think it's very foolish for someone to think that they can't compete, so I think they're worth the naming as well. So that kind of answers that first question about Alter. That takes us into our second question. Can CJ win the GCL? And as a follow-up to it, will it be a showdown for regionals between them and Alter? CJ winning the GCL is definitely doable, but it's going to be complicated. Um, CJ does lose their two kind of core guys from last year, and uh, AJ Solomon and Dan Nassif. Those seniors, I think, played a large role in why the Eagles made the run they did, That, and they were playing their best basketball at the right time. Those guys gone really is going to leave a void, I think, with the Eagles. The two best players now back are Evan Dickey and Jonathan Powell. The big problem, though, with the Eagles on that is that's a junior and a sophomore you're talking about. It's very hard to win in the GCL when your two best players are non-seniors. Especially when the team you're going to be competing with, Alter, has their top five guys all upperclassmen. CJ knocked these guys out of the tournament a year ago. So it'd be easy for someone to look at that and say, well, CJ could do it again. And you're right. It's very possible. But again, when you get to postseason basketball, sometimes it's about who's playing the best basketball at the right time. Alter may have been the better team last year, but CJ was playing better at that time and was better prepared. To that point... It's hard to say if this will be a regional showdown between CJ and Alter because the GCL has been known to go into the same sectional as other teams. What do I mean by that? At the sectional draw, it's not unheard of for the GCL co-ed teams to go into the same bracket as the other GCL co-ed teams because you've already played them twice. So why not play a team you're familiar with? So I could see CJ choosing to go into a bracket with Alter where this may be a regional matchup or what should be a regional matchup, maybe a sectional final. It's hard to tell. Again, when you get to the postseason, there's a lot of different factors you'll be looking at. CJ will be looking at different factors. You know, I don't know if if it's going to be a regional showdown. It just depends. Now, if They go in separate brackets, it's very likely. Like I said in the previous question, Cincinnati not very as strong this year. There's not a lot of teams out of Cincinnati, I think, that are going to be able to match what CJ and Alter do. It also depends what bracket Dunbar goes in. Will Dunbar follow one of these guys? Or will there be another team that ultimately comes in here and and surprises all of us? So CJ could theoretically have that matchup if they both made it. In terms of the GCL... Me, personally, I'm going to have them sitting in second place. I think Alter's experience gives them the nod going into this. When you look at the rest of GCL, Fenwick and Baden both have new coaches. It's going to be hard to tell kind of what happens here from the beginning for them. Uh, both Baden, or excuse me, Baden has quite a few guys that I really liked seeing, some sophomores and juniors in the AAU. I think that's going to look good for them. Fenwick, they lost A.J. Braun. They lost their head coach, Kelvin Moss. I, I don't know where Fenwick will be at. Uh, we'll see what happens with that one. Uh, and then Carroll McNicholas, the other two teams, they graduate quite a bit. McNick was technically, I mean, they were a regional qualifier last year and got beat by Bishop Watterson out of Columbus. Carroll graduates a lot of their size. It's going to be hard for those two teams to compete. So really, it's going to be CJ and Alter, I think, at the top. And then Purcell Marion and Roger Bacon both left the GCL co-ed. So that's, we only got six left at this point. So... Can CJ win the GCL? It's possible, but it's going to be complicated to get through Alter. Um, And again, when you've got a junior and a sophomore, now granted, Dickey and Powell are very, very, very skilled players. I'm, I'm not saying because they're underclassmen they can't compete. I'm just saying when it comes to the tournament, when you don't have a lot of those seniors and your best players are younger, sometimes you're susceptible to getting beat when you probably shouldn't lose. So can CJ win the GCL? Sure. Can they get a showdown in the regionals? It just depends on what bracket they go into. Next question here. Can Thurgood challenge Dunbar for a City League title, especially after Dunbar got knocked out by Carroll in the tournament last year? Yeah, anything can happen. I think it's unlikely you're going to see Thurgood win the City League this year. Dunbar was undefeated in the City League last year. Uh, Granted, they are losing three really good players in Chance Amberson, Justin O'Neill, and Deshaun Huffman, but... That Dunbar team does still have a lot of juniors now back that were sophomores a year ago. And I think that's the reason or a big reason why Dunbar lost in the tournament was they weren't as mature because he had those sophomores. Actually, I take that back. Those sophomores did not play um, in that game due to the transfer rule. So Dunbar didn't even have everybody, but they also were very dependent on some younger players last year, and they ran into a Carroll team that just – had the better game plan. I think this year, Dunbar is a lot more mature uh, between Antone and Anton Allen, as well as uh, Randy Latham. Those three juniors are going to have big roles for Dunbar. And when you look at Thurgood, they got Ronald Smith back, who I think Ronald Smith could be, he could compete for you know a City League Player of the Year. He had a really good summer with Hops and Elite. But Thurgood also is graduating, or they lost two other of their top guys, and then uh, so I'm, I can't confirm this, but Marquise Young potentially is not there anymore either. If Young is not there, their sophomore. I don't really know, you know, is there enough back with Ronald Smith that they can challenge Dunbar? I mean, Dunbar's got that experience that I talked about already, the juniors. You got Hollis Terrell, who transferred in from Troy. You got Darian Leslie, who was a really good player, a role player a year ago, showing he can score the ball really well. You got B.J. Hatcher, who's a very talented freshman coming in, and a sophomore, Mike, Michael Harrison. Dunbar's got a lot of different players on this team, and I don't know if Thurgood's got the depth they're going to be able to run with them. More theoretically, though, I think Ponets and Meadowdale are two teams more likely you're going to see challenge because Pwnitz is a little deeper, um, mainly juniors, and I'll talk about Ponets a little later. And then Meadowdale looked really good last year uh, in, the, in the in the D3 tournament, and I think they brought back quite a few guys from that team, so they could definitely challenge as well. Uh, The next question, does Franklin stay on top of the new Southwestern Buckeye League, or do we see one of the D2 schools being Oakwood, Bellbrook, or Monroe take over? For Franklin, it's hard to to see Franklin not uh, winning a Southwestern Buckeye League title. Um, I think they will win because of the two S's, seniors and size. Uh, They've got a lot they got three seniors specifically, Isaiah Bales, who is the coach's son, uh, Nate Parlberg and Noah Rich. Rich and Parlberg both over six five. That's really tough. You know, when you got that type of size on a team, especially uh, in a league like the Southwestern Buckeye League, where you're not used to seeing guys that are that big, you got that advantage going for you. Then you add the fact that the tradition that Franklin has and the coaching they have in Brian Bales. Very difficult to see the Wildcats losing here. Um, in the last ten years, Franklin has won an outright or a share of the Southwestern Buckeye League nine times. Twenty nineteen was the only year they did not win a share or win outright. That is incredible. And with the Southwestern Buckeye League now looking different, with some teams moving, it opens up the door. With oh now it opens the door for some new teams to maybe make some noise, but. Do they have the size to compete with Franklin? Of the three D2 teams, I don't think Monroe will be able to compete. They did lose quite a bit from a year ago. Oakwood, they got a great duo in Keon Wright and Will Maxwell. They got a few other seniors as well that are back. I think that senior heavy team is going to give Oakwood advantage. I could see Oakwood taking a game from Franklin this year, but I don't know if they're going to take both. And then Bellbrook, they're finally healthy. Gabe Pavlock is back after missing last year to an injury. They're bringing in a good freshman in Austin Webb. I think Bellbrook is finally moving in the right direction that we could see them challenge. The only concern I have with them is they're playing a very, very, very tough non-conference schedule. That's going to require them to be playing quite physical in a lot of these games. Are they going to get beat up in the season or when they go play Franklin, they may not be at full strength? No denying that the talent is there. They just got to be healthy enough to, to compete. So I'd say Franklin is going to be at the top uh, for this year, but I would say Oak was right on their trail, and then Bellbrook definitely not far behind. This next question is one of my favorite ones I got asked. How will Centerville handle expectations of being champions, and can a team like Miamisburg or Wayne challenge them? I wrote down some notes uh, for all these questions, but this one I didn't really have to write notes down because to me it's a simple answer. Centerville's going to have no problem handling expectations. If you listen to podcasts or you listen to how Brooke Cups talks about his team, he talks about culture. He talks about family. He talks about a lot of different things that are beyond basketball. That is a huge reason why Centerville is so successful, is these kids buy in to what they're trying to do. That team last year played about as perfect as you could play through a tournament and to me that proved this is what happens when you put the right guy at the helm. I think center going to have no problem handling these expectations and I think they're going to actually maybe even surprise people um, with what they could do this year. In terms of the second part of that question, Miamisburg and Wayne, Miamisburg, some of those grittier guards, those defensive minded guards they had a year ago are gone. And granted, Miami'sburg did beat Centerville once last year. I don't know if they can do that again this year. They bring back Jackson McGowan, they bring back Anthony Kopic, and those guys are really good wings, but they're not really guards on the perimeter. And you need guards that can handle the pressure Centerville is going to bring at you. Does Miami'sburg have that? I just don't know yet. And with Wayne, I mean, I don't even with Wayne, I don't even know what the roster is going to look like. Uh, there's so many questions about who's going to be playing because they got football kids. Um, I mean, I'm hearing some of their kids are going to be going to to college a year early instead of playing basketball. There's still questions about some of the football kids. I don't know where Wayne is at. The only consistent I know with Wayne is they have Laurent Rice, but Laurent Rice, Ry- excuse me, Laurent Rice by himself is not going to get Wayne past Centerville. When you've got Centerville's got four of their top five from last year back, you got to have a really good team that can beat them. You can't have just one player. So honestly between Miamisburg and Wayne, I don't know if either of those teams are going to necessarily knock Centerville off as a G-walk champion. I don't even know if Springfield can do it. Springfield has a lot of athleticism. They can play fast, but they showed they, they struggled at times with Centerville last year. And again, with Centerville bringing back so many of those pieces, can they do it? I don't know. I would say Centerville, though is going to take care of business because that's what Centerville does. The second question that this pers- same person had was, is there anybody that has a chance of beating Centerville this year? Again, I mean, anything can happen. Any, uh, you know, you have a bad shooting night. You just don't handle the ball well. You don't rebound the ball well. You can obviously lose. When you look at the G-Walk, though, I just don't think there's many, if any, teams in the G-Walk that I see beating Centerville twice. You know, Obviously, if Wayne brings back everyone they're supposed to bring back, they may get one by Centerville. Springfield may get one by him. Heck, fairmont, Fairmont's fairmont been playing, looking really good uh, in the offseason. They theoretically could potentially shock the world and beat them. Anyone could beat them on any given night. That being said, the talent Centerville has, I just don't see that happening. Plus, you look at some of their – I was trying to find their non-conference schedule. I don't have the whole schedule, uh, but they do play Moeller and they play St. Vincent, St. Mary out of Akron. Molar's not the same Molar as they were in the past, so I think Centerville can beat them again. St. Vincent, St. Mary, that's a different conversation, though. Even though they lost Malachi Branham, that team probably, arguably, is one of the best teams in the entire state, regardless of division. That's a conversation for another day, though. My next question I got, what will Northmont look like with Darnell Hoskins and Pete Poland coaching, and what can they put together there? First of all, this is great for Dayton. Um, I remember growing up, and Coach Hoskins and Coach poland they were at Thurgood Marshall and Dunbar, respectively, and it seemed like every year Thurgood and Dunbar were making runs to state. Those two built those programs to being two of the best programs in the entire state of Ohio. So to have them both together again at a school like Northmont, where you've got a lot more options of of players with it being a bigger school than you did at Dunbar and Thurgood. The sky's the limit in terms of this year. They're going to be young. They're going to be very young. You know, at when they were playing at Oak Hills at in the, in June during the summer stuff, they had five freshmen playing on the varsity in a game against Lakota East. They're going to go to their youth. They're going to try to build these youth up and get them prepped real early on. They're going to take some bumps in the road. These first couple years, But by the time these kids get to junior senior year, if they stay, man, they're going to be a special team. I can remember Northmont in the past couple of years being a team that was top three in Dayton. They can get back to that. It's just going to take some time, uh, especially the last two years, just not being able to win the G-Walk. That's the first thing you got to do is you got to get these young kids acquainted to being in the G-Walk, the physicality of it, get them adjusted to the game, and then you can work on – the, the next step of how do you game plan for each team respectively the next question can Colin O'Connor at Tecumseh be the next big prospect for the Central Buckeye Conference or CBC yes absolutely O'Connor is a very unselfish player very good guard he's what you want in a point guard he had a very good uh summer he earned a, a scholarship from Stetson a division one school um very good player. He's the son of Wade O'Connor, former uh, Division I coach and a really good uh, trainer and activist here in Dayton. Uh, does a lot for the youth around here. So he's got a lot of, you know, he's got that, that background in him as well. The problem with Colin though, is exactly this. He plays in the Central Buckeye Conference, and Tecumseh is a Division I school. Playing these Division II and Division Three teams are, don't get them ready for the tournament. So yes, O'Connor puts up big numbers or can put up big numbers in the CBC, but then you get him in the sectional tournament, he runs into a team that Tecumseh just hasn't seen before, and that's where you see struggles. I think O'Connor definitely has got player of the year potential, but I think there's two other ones that are worth noting. Zion Crow from Springfield Shawnee and Zach Vernon from North Union. Crow, very, very good athlete uh, on the football field and on the basketball court. Then Zach Vernon's a very good interior player for North Union. Both Shawnee and North Union good teams. I think that they have good shots of of, of competing in the CBC, but on the individual basis, you know, O'Connor, Crow, Vernon, that's really going to be your race, I think, early on for for player of the year. The next question, the Miami Valley League has new coaches at Xenia, Stebbins, and Piqua. Follow-up question, will Stebbins' success continue from the football field after they didn't have much of a season due to COVID. And this was a crazy stat when we were doing, when Seth and I did bracketology last year, Stebbins only played 13 games all of last season. They really did not get a chance to get going because of COVID. I believe if I remember correctly, they played a game in the middle of December. And I don't believe they played again until the middle of January or something like that. They went like over three weeks without playing. It was ridiculous. Um, they do have a new coach. Uh, Dennis Wally takes over, a former Carroll head coach. And unfortunately, I I don't know what Stebbins is going to look like right now. Their two best players, and Jacob Reed and Ryan Hickey are gone. Uh, Nate Keller, their their quarterback, played pretty well last year when I watched him play, assuming he plays again this year. I just I didn't get a chance to see Stebbins enough last year to confidently say i I can see where they're gonna be at. I really don't know. Um In terms of the football success, if those football kids come over and play, obviously you have that winning mentality already on your team, which is what you need. But then at the end of the day, can you take care of the X's and O's against, you know, in the MVL where it's a little bit down? Like I'll talk about my next point. Xenia and Piqua, same thing. You know, Xenia lost a lot of talent from last year. Uh, Mike Arlinghouse takes over there after being an assistant at Waynesville. And then Brett Kopp, the former Bethel coach, takes over at uh, Pick The Pickwa one, I think, is a great hire, getting Cop. You know, he had great success at Bethel, turned them into a very good team in the Cross County Conference. And Pickwa really has struggled the last couple of years, even when they were those last few years in the G-Walk. They just never have been a, a basketball school. And I think getting a good basketball mind in there is key to, to seeing them succeed. pickwa has got the best chance, though, with a guy like Dreshawn Roberts back. You know, if you can get the, the pieces around him, to, to really build that team and that starting five, you got a chance to do some special things. To that point, the next question was, only two of eight MVL first-teamers are back from last year. Those two being Drayshawn Roberts from Piqua and Sam Walker from West Carrollton. Can Pickwa or West Carrollton win the league with those guys back? Pickwa, I don't think so. West Carrollton, I do. Pickwa again, you got to have the guys around. They graduated a lot of seniors around Roberts last year. So who are you going to put around him? Uh, I think in that division, especially Tippecanoe, even though Tip lost two all-conference and collegiate, for that matter, scholarship players, basketball players. Tip brought back a lot of really good juniors that played really well in AAU. I think Tip is still the, the team to beat, and until Pickwell can get. Some other guys besides Roberts, I just don't know if they can compete there. West Carrollton, I mean, there's not a lot of teams that can, can body up with Sam Walker. 6'7", uh, just absolute stud. Uh, rebounding machine, interior score. Until a team shows they can guard him and put a body on him, I would say the answer is no, in that West Carrollton is going to be the favorite out of the MVL. These next two questions, I'm going to combine them. Um, It was – one was asked me to name my first team Southwest District and then the player of the year in each division. The problem with Southwest District is that includes Cincinnati, and I feel like I can't name an all-district team without including the Cincinnati kids. So what I did – and this is, again, this is October. So I would highly hope that people don't read into this and, and start, you know, saying this is wrong we're in october this will obviously change but just very early on thoughts i picked three from dayton and three from cincinnati i got gabe cups jacob plyman and lane sarver from the dayton area from cincinnati i got sean keller rayvon griffith and evan mahefi uh keller from elder griffith from taft mahefi from moeller i'm not going to go into why i picked those three because again that's my opinion uh we can maybe readdress this question again um, when it gets a little closer to the season. In terms of player of the year, same thing. Cups is my D1 player of the year, preseason player of the year. D2, Jacob Connor from Alter. D3, Mason Strout from Preble Shawnee. D4, I couldn't pick between Sarver and Plyman, so I made them both co-players of the year. Uh, the next question, this was a uh, this was another question I really liked. Uh, and this individual asked, as a coach and scout... What's your, your being my, advice for seniors going into their last season with little to no collegiate interest or offers? The first thing is you have to be open. If you don't have any offers and a coach reaches out to you, you can't have the mindset of, I'm not going to, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want, no, I'm not interested. If you don't have any offers, you really aren't in a position to be picking and choosing which schools you want to reach out to you. I've seen and hear about it happening all the time. You have to be open to whatever schools are going to reach out to you. My advice is talk to your high school coach or your AU coach about getting game film, preferably from huddle. I've had several, I've heard several people tell me huddle is the best option and you want to send these, have these coaches send that film out to college coaches within the level they think and you think you are. It's crucial that you are realistic about this. If you are five foot nine and you're averaging 10 points a game Probably shouldn't be sending your film to Kentucky or Duke. Re- theoretically, unless you're getting recruited by Calipari or Bill Self or whoever, probably shouldn't be sending it there. If you don't know what level you are, you should ask. Ask your coach, ask a scout. There's plenty of people in the Dayton area or in the state of Ohio you can reach out to and ask for feedback from. Um, you know, just to get an idea of, hey, what should I be working on to, to get seen by the coaches? And where should I send my film? When, you know, what level do you think I'm at so I know where to send the film to? Another piece of advice I'd give people, don't be afraid to introduce yourself to coaches. Especially in the summer, especially in the AAU. You know, When you see these coaches out, introduce yourself. You know, you're not necessarily having a conversation about this is why you should recruit me. But the best person to ask about what, to, what coaches are looking for are the coaches themselves. Because every coach is different. Every coach is looking for something different to recruit. So I can sit here and tell you that I think you're a D3 caliber kid, but maybe there's a D2 team that needs a guard that's very fast, very up-tempo, very unselfish, and maybe you fit all that. So don't be afraid to really put yourself out there and, and market yourself and connect with college coaches. They're the best people to give that advice as well. And I will say on this podcast as well, if there are any unsigned seniors that do need advice on this, you know, COVID, unfortunately, has still made things complicated. Uh, I still think we're playing catch up from some things that happened in 2020 and 2021 on the recruiting landscape. Anything I can do to help or any feedback I can provide, I'm always willing to do that. Uh, Moving on, though, the sleepers in different conferences and then the top underclassmen who will be impact players. For the sleepers, I kept this to the teams, different teams, underclassmen, obviously, as individual players. I tried to focus a little more on the rural schools because a lot of these questions that came in were about you know, the, the D1 through D2 teams, and we didn't talk a lot about the rural schools. So I'm going to talk about some of the sleepers there. Ponents, I, I'll start with Ponents. though. They're the only team that we've already talked about. Opponents, I think, is a sleeper. They're very junior heavy. Dewan Anderson, Trent Kindred, Jaden Buchanan, that that trio plus a few other guys. They were young a year ago. The opponents only lost, I think, three seniors from last year's team. Alan Spears has been working on in this program for several years to get these guys to where they are now. I think if they don't hit it this year, next year is going to be the year they're going to explode. You're going to see these guys potentially competing for you know a district title. Um, they can challenge Dunbar. I think they will. In the MAC, Versailles, three of their top four are back from a year ago. They were a regional qualifier. MAC basketball, no, no better way to get you prep for Division three sectionals than playing the MAC schools. You know, playing your Marion Locals, playing your St. Henry's, the physicality is there. Versailles had a losing record and still made it to the regionals. I think this year they can actually be one of the best teams in the MAC. Troy Christian, out of the new Three Rivers Conference, they only lost two players, Chaz Shamel and Zach King from last year. They bring back a lot of those guys. They are a very young-ish team, so they could run into that problem we talked about with Miami East last year. We talked about CJ at the beginning of this episode with that youth, how far can they get in Division 4 We'll see what happens there. Arcanum out of the Western Ohio Athletic Conference, they got a really good guard in Jake Gabo. I think they're the third best team in that conference behind Tri Village and Preble Shawnee. They they were a top five seed in Division Three last season. I think they can definitely replicate that this year. Dayton Christian out of the Metro Buckeye Conference, Division Three team. You know Devin Dreyer put on a lot of muscle this off season. Definitely looks a lot more physical than he did last season. You got Isaiah Edwards, a very good rebounder. You know, he's definitely got a chance to to be a special player for them as well. Adam Bletzinger had a good uh, summer with me with Dayton Elite. Dayton Christian has the size. That's something that not a lot of teams in the Metro Buckeye Conference have. I think that the Warriors can do some damage in the conference. Once they get into the sectional, it'll be a little more of a race, a wide-open race at that point, but that'll be a conversation for later. And then Jackson Center out of the Shelby County League. They were district runner-ups a year ago. They lost Aiden Riker, and let's be real, when you lose a player like Aiden Riker, it's very hard to replicate that unless you're Jackson Center and Scott Elkert's your coach. Um, that team finds a way to make it to districts every year. I think regardless of what they who they have or who they don't have, they're going to be a favorite or a sleeper. This year, it's Camden Reese and Jason Mullenhauer. I think they're both very, very skilled players. They bring that defensive awareness and that coachability that Jackson Center thrives on. And and D4 could be a battle in that uh, Troy district. You know, you've got Botkins coming back to defending state champs. Fort Laramie's always competitive. Jackson Center is going to be right there with those guys, and not only in the Shelby County League, but then comes t- uh, sectional draw. And then the top underclassmen I'm just going to go through. You know, I'm not going to talk about each kid individually. I'm just going to give you nine guys that I would say – Austin Webb from Bellbrook, you know, I'm I'm thinking he's he might be a varsity player for Bellbrook from day one. Um, definitely a very good guard. Ben Manker from Mason, he's a sophomore. Very good uh, off season with Midwest Basketball Club, their Adidas Three Stripes team. Manker, I definitely a, a, a you know a, a D two low major potential player. I think my opinion early on. Uh, Miami East, the sophomore duo of Jacob uh, Re- Roth and Wes Enus. Roth, very good point guard, two-way player. Enos, physicality is the name of the game, and, and he's got that for Miami East. They're, I think they're a, another year away from really hitting the what they're capable of. A.J. McBride from Moeller. I'm going to say this right now. Moeller lost a lot from last year, and I think some of their best talent is in that sophomore class, and I don't think Moeller, Moeller – Moeller tends to go with the upperclassmen that know the culture, that know the roles, over underclassmen that maybe aren't mature enough yet. So I don't know what Moeller's going to look like this season, but I can tell you this. A.J. McBride is going to be a very good player for them, and if he ends up playing varsity right away, watch out. Jeremiah Landers from Northmont, he's looked phenomenal for the Thunderbolts in terms of Being able to control the ball, he's a point guard. I believe he's related to Trey Landers, former UD, and Wayne standout. I believe they're cousins. Watch Jeremiah play at Oak Hills for Northmont and their summer league stuff. He already looks like he knows how to control the basketball. Very good thoughts on him. Mason Strout from Preble Shawnee, the sophomore. Had a great freshman year. Now he's in a new conference, and to be honest with you, this conference has probably got a better chance of him putting up 30, 40 points point games. I am not comparing his skill to Luke Kennard, but I think you're going to see Shrout put up Kennard-like numbers in terms of you're going to see him putting up 30 and 40 a night, especially as he gets older. He's got that potential in him. Parker Penrod from Troy Christian, very good guard. He's a little small, he's 5-9, you know, got some growing to do, but he already has the skills you look for in a point guard, very unselfish. You know, good court awareness, good IQ, good passing ability, very good player. Uh, and then Tyler Cross. Tyler Cross, the brother of Colby Cross over at Cedarville, really could have been a contributor as a freshman, but because Cedarville had so many seniors on that regional runner-up team, they didn't really need Cross on the varsity. With all those guys now graduated, Cross is going to really have to step up this year and, and do a lot more. So we'll see what happens there. That wraps up the, all those questions. Um, again, we're – we're early in October. A lot of things can happen. A lot of kids play football, you know, hopefully no one gets injured, but unfortunately injuries happen. You hope that nobody gets injured and everyone can have a full squad coming in. What you don't know too, you know, Tri village, Springfield, Wayne, they've got very good football teams. They may end up having some of their basketball kids, not be able to join them until late November or December because they make a deep post season run. So, There's a lot of things that could still happen between now and then. But one thing is for sure, we're getting really close to basketball. Seth and I are really excited for the upcoming season. There's a lot of things we've got going on that a lot of you guys don't know about yet. We'll be announcing as we get a little closer to the season. We're still working on a few things. Um, And the last thing I'll say is this. you know, We love Southwest Ohio. We've done a lot for Southwest Ohio or have tried to. we're going to continue to put Southwest Ohio as the focus of our brand. Uh, but one goal of mine this year is to put some content out there, maybe about other teams outside of the area. Because I can remember on multiple occasions last year with Botkins and Centerville making deep postseason runs, the Seth and I would talk to people about the teams that these guys were going to play and nobody knew what we were talking about. So I think it's a good idea to have content out there. So you Everyone can see, especially as teams like Botkins, as teams like Centerville, Alter, whoever make deep runs, you can see, oh, here's who's waiting for us in the state tournament, or who, here's who I trust these guys in Dayton. Here's who they think is, we're going to have to go through to get, to get to UD and play. Just some additional content, um, so we'll be looking to do that. But again, that's not to say that that's going to become the focus. That's not. We're going to continue to make Southwest Ohio the focus, and we're going to be continuing to call games. Um, And as always, you know, if you have an idea uh, for the podcast, you want to hear a certain interview, you want to hear a certain conversation, let me know. I want to thank everyone that sent in questions for this episode. I really enjoyed reading them off and answering them, and hopefully I didn't piss off anybody too much with my answers. But, again, it's just perspective, and we're in October. A lot could change in between now and December 1st or November 26th when we start the season. So with that being said, thank you for tuning in to Southwest Ohio Full Court Press. This is Tony Peters signing off.